This is false and defamatory, the impact of defamation and weaponized social media. Trigger warning. This podcast discusses topics related to emotional abuse, gaslighting, verbal abuse, threatening language, cyberbullying, intimidation tactics, and thoughts of self-harm which may be triggering for some listeners. The content includes descriptions of manipulative behavior, psychological distress, body shaming, online harassment, and other forms of abusive behavior and emotional trauma. Please take care of yourself and consider your mental and emotional state before listening. If you need support or someone to talk to, please seek help from a trusted friend, family member, or mental health professional. Thank you for listening. We are now in July of 2022. And finally, finally, H and I were able to give our deposition. And so after having to be silent since November of 2020, so not quite two years now, And not even being given a voice in terms of giving a deposition was just excruciating and maddening. But now that has finally happened. And we are leading up now to the discovery deadline for the case. So if you'll recall, when the defendant's counsel filed a motion for continuance, and that was heard, I believe, in June, the judge said, no, I'm not going to give you a continuance. However, I will extend the discovery deadline. It was originally supposed to be on July 8th, I believe. And he said he would extend it to July the 22nd. So we are leading up to that date. And what that means is every single piece of evidence that you have must be turned over by that deadline. Any Depositions must be taken, any files, screenshots, IP addresses, anything from a subpoena, a police report, any files of defamation, everything that my legal team had captured has to be turned in by that deadline. Once that deadline happens, nothing that happens after that can be used unless you file a motion for it to be admitted and then the judge will decide on that unless both parties agree that it can be admitted. Interestingly enough, on July 17th of 2022, the defendant makes an Instagram story and I am only playing this Instagram story to point out and draw attention to the fact that leading up to this very important discovery deadline on July the 22nd, the defendant is actually on a cruise with one of her friends. Something and we could totally get out of our bathing suits and we could lay down in bed. Or what was the first thing you said if we want to accomplish something? want to accomplish something then we need to go straight to our balcony and sit down and get work done but if we don't let's do rock paper scissors (laughs) so in this video once again the defendant is on a cruise and she has said before that she's going on this cruise to work on things work on the case and so in the video you can hear her friends saying you know we could go back to the room and work and The defendant is saying, I don't really want to do that. Let's just play rock, paper, scissors. And so that is her mindset leading up to this discovery deadline. Then on July the 22nd of 2022, my attorneys file a motion to compel the defendant's insurance information. So I've discussed this in prior episodes, but in a defamation lawsuit or really in any civil lawsuit, one of the first questions asked is going to be to provide insurance information. 
And I didn't know this until this lawsuit, but apparently even your homeowner's insurance can have a clause in it that will protect you or provide coverage if you are sued for defamation. And so my attorneys had requested from the defendant early on in the lawsuit, one of the very first ever requests to provide the insurance information. And apparently she had submitted three different insurance agreements and none of them were sufficient. They were either expired during the time or there was some other problem with them. And so my attorneys filed this motion to legally compel her to submit this information. And this was filed on July the 22nd, which is the discovery deadline, meaning that, hey, it's the discovery deadline and we still do not have this. And so we are now forced to file a motion to compel. And then a motion to compel, basically, if the judge were to grant it, would say you are ordered to produce whatever the motion is asking to be compelled to produce. The judge would say you are ordered to produce this. And if you don't, then there could be consequences. Also on July the 22nd of 2022, which is once again, the discovery deadline, my attorneys filed what is called a no evidence motion for summary judgment or no evidence MSJ as it might be referred to. When the defendant filed her defense, she claimed four things. The first thing that she claimed as a defense is truth, stating that everything that she had said is true. The second defense that she claimed is the defense of opinion, saying that everything that she has stated is her opinion. And the third defense that they claimed is failure to mitigate damages. And that was basically saying that whenever I shut all of my social media down and my LinkedIn and that sort of a thing, that I sort of contributed to the damage to my own career and not being able to find a job. And then the final defense that the defendant claimed was freedom of speech which we know does not cover defamation, but that is the final defense that she claimed. And this no evidence MSJ was meant to remove the first two affirmative defenses because the defendant has produced and by her own admission in her deposition has zero evidence to back up the truth of any of the claims that she made. Therefore, she should not be able to claim truth as a defense as there's no evidence, hence the title, no evidence motion for summary judgment. Additionally, to remove the affirmative defense of opinion, because the defendant has over and over again presented all of her statements as fact. And so therefore, she cannot claim this is my opinion. In this motion for summary judgment, it says, the factual background, plaintiff Crystal Wrighton alleges that on or about November 13th, 2020, defendants began a plan in course against plaintiff to harass, annoy, assault, slander, and libel plaintiff. Defendants may post on various social media platforms, including Facebook and Instagram, spreading rumors, slanderous, and libelous statements about plaintiff that were untrue. Plaintiff contends that these false statements on social media have caused her to temporarily suspend her social media accounts, suspend job interviews for other employment opportunities, seek medical attention, both in the form of medication and psychiatric treatment, and install updated security system in her home. Then the procedural background states, plaintiff filed her third amended petition on January 26, 2022, wherein plaintiff asserted the following claims against the defendant. Number one, libel and slander. Number two, aiding and abetting. Number three, agency and vicarious liability. The defendants filed their original answer on December 21, 2020, where they denied liability and asserted the affirmative defenses of number 
one, truth. Number two, expression of opinion. Number three, plaintiff failed to mitigate damages. Number four, plaintiff is precluded from enjoining defendant's First Amendment rights. That is free speech. The parties have engaged in extensive discovery, including exchanging written discovery and conducting depositions of the plaintiff and defendants. Plaintiff has collected an extensive list of slanderous and libelous statements made and posted by the defendants on social media. Texas Rule of Civil Procedure 166A allows for a party to seek summary judgment without introducing evidence by asserting after sufficient time has passed for discovery that no evidence exists which would support one or more essential elements of a defense which the adverse party bears the burden of proving at trial. What this means is, and it's my understanding, I'm not an attorney, this is just my interpretation from what I have been told, is that whenever the defendant claimed the affirmative defense of truth, the burden of proof is now on her to prove that these statements are true. And so there is no evidence that exists in the entire universe that would ever prove what she said is true, if that's what this statement is saying. Then it goes on to say, under this standard, the non-movent has the burden to produce more than a scintilla of evidence to support each challenged element of its claims. I also didn't know what a scintilla was until this lawsuit and until this motion. The definition for scintilla means a tiny trace or spark of a specified quality or feeling. So this is saying that there's not even a shred, a spark, a tiny trace of evidence that would support a defense of truth. And therefore, that affirmative defense should be removed and not accessible to the defendant. Then my attorneys go on to include a lot of various case law, which is very customary in a motion. And then it says, an affirmative defense asserting that the defendant's statements were true fail as a matter of law, as there is no evidence to support either the substantial or literal truth of the statements in question. The defendants have failed to provide a scintilla of evidence which supports the truth of these statements. Further, in the deposition of defendant, when specifically asked what evidence she has which proves the truth of her statements, she replied that she had no such evidence. So in her own deposition, over and over again, she claimed that she did not have actual evidence. She would say things like, I believe it to be true, or I just decided, and things of that nature. Nothing that is actually evidence. Goes on to say, the defendants have introduced no evidence that their statements were opinion and not fact. The defendants have not offered even a scintilla of evidence which support this assertion. Further, defendants' statements are verifiable as false as there exists no evidence to prove any of the defendants' outlandish claims about the plaintiff. Therefore, the affirmative defense of opinion fails as a matter of law. So we filed this motion on July the 22nd. It will need to be set for hearing. The defendant will file a response and we will get to that later. Then on July the 26th of 2022, and I would like to point out this is four days after the discovery deadline. The defendant makes an Instagram and Facebook post. And in this post, she has posted a picture of herself and she is kind of holding her hand on her head, like in disbelief, kind of like this. And the post says, I started to post this on my story, but it got wordy and long and deserves a spot here because my highlight reel isn't always shiny. Today is no exception. I know I've been away for a while and here's why. This is me. I snapped this with no filter candidly and thought this is what they need to see. The real deal. The struggle. This is me all day long on the phone with companies trying to verify dates and get receipts and compile lists. But oh my God, it's freaking eye opening. I spent so much of my money on that man, meaning her husband and those girls. Oh my God. The comments 
made that match the texts. The thousands and thousands of crazy things said that match me emailing or texting. How does anyone know this? The dates don't lie. The texts, the emails, the DMs. It's all there and it's sickening. I'm so thankful I recorded my whole life because it's all there on camera. I'm trying to not let the disgusting things I have read about myself penetrate, but I have to read it and match it to a real life moment. It's betrayal after betrayal after betrayal. It's all disgusting, but I'm waiting through it because I am going to win. I've never lied, not a single time, and I never will about any of this. And that's what's going to save me in the end. Full transparency and receipts in capital letters ain't nothing new there. So the interesting thing about this post is the discovery deadline has passed. She didn't submit anything else. The only discovery that the defendant ever provided to us was given to us at the first time that we were actually going to hold her deposition in the fall of 2021 when we arrived to take her deposition and her attorney had a mound of discovery to go through. I have already gone through that in prior episodes. Nothing else was turned over. But here, she is acting as though she is still going through evidence and that she has all of this proof and receipts when in reality, Nothing was submitted by the discovery deadline, nothing additional, and everything else has already been gone through, and there is no evidence by her own admission. But to her followers, as usual, it's a different story. During this time, I actually asked my attorneys, can she submit anything after the deadline? And my attorney said, if she did, we would object, and then the judge would have to rule on whether or not it could be admissible. And then I said, well, can we just agree? to let her admit whatever she thinks that she's going to admit because I am confident that no matter what she tries to submit for discovery will be useless. So if she wants to submit something, can we just let her submit it? And so my attorney said, well, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. But I wanted to let her submit whatever it is that she thought that she had because I knew that she had nothing still. Also on July the 26th of 2022, the defendant made a live video, and I'm just going to play one clip from this live video. Oh, thank y'all for being so nice in my post earlier. Like, I literally just put my hand up to my head like this, and I, like, took the picture, and I was like, dang, that's, like, literally how I look in that picture is how I feel in my brain. The point of it all was to show you that, like, it's a roller coaster. Every day is a roller coaster. Like, I'm trying to think happy now and put my work stuff to the side. Work stuff means, like, anything regarding an attorney. Can you still tell me that? You're the only crazy person in the room. Nope. Turns out I wasn't. And I was just guessing on some stuff. Golly. So in this clip, she is kind of talking about the post that she had made where she had her hand on her head. And then towards the end of the clip, and she's getting ready and putting her makeup on in this video, she says that her husband used to say that she was the only crazy person in the room, but it turns out that's not true. And then she kind of in passing says, and I was just guessing on some stuff. And the only reason that I point that out is because had this been within the discovery deadline, we would have used this video because once again, when you make a statement, you have to have proof at the time that you make that statement, that that statement is true. Otherwise you can't make that statement and then say, oh, I found the evidence later. But unfortunately this video was made past the discovery deadline. And so therefore this video could not be used at trial. Also on July the 26th of 2022, we did get the notice that our hearing for the no evidence MSJ would be on August the 18th of 2022, which was 
four days before the trial was supposed to happen. And so we wouldn't know until a few days before the trial whether or not those defenses were going to be allowed for the defendant to use. Then on July the 27th of 2022, the defendant makes another live video. And once again, I'm only going to play a few short clips of this because it is past the discovery deadline. And this is something that we could not use at trial, but we would have used it. So this is so weird to ask you guys, but also it's like so weird to go through like, you know, thousands and thousands, I mean, literally like thousands and thousands of posts about yourself from people that you used to know and love and try to match them with actual text messages and disgusting stuff. So like, look, there's my dad's mugshot. And that's so nice. That's funny. That person's following my ex-husband on social media. So crazy. Anyways, um, can you all do me a favor? If you have ever sent me a message that's like a paragraph, okay? Like here's an example, okay? She wrote me this big old paragraph named Charlotte. She said, hi, I've been following you and loving you, loving your way, loving you for seeing the sunny side of life. I've seen your old precious house and then building it and moving, blah, blah, blah. I've watched you grieve for your sick dad, all that. If you, see, I hate asking for this because it like trivializes the message that you guys are trying to convey. And I, it's so disgusting. Can you please, I'm going to put a little comment box here. Can you just comment in the comment box so I can go? Sorry, it cut me off. So if you've ever sent me a message like that, whether I've responded or not, I'm going to put a question box here. It's easier for me to find it if you comment in the question box and then I can go look at our threads than if you all just message me right now, okay? So if you've ever sent me that kind of message, it sounds so gross to ask you to comment on this box to let me know that you've done so, but can you just comment in this little box and let me go print it so I can take it? This is literally the most disgusting thing ever. It's okay. Listening to the audio too, like to me ask all these questions for so long like it's so gross but it's okay because i'm gonna win and everything's gonna be all i want is a talk i don't want any money i want to be able to tell my story what i gotta tell you oh we got the coupon code thing fixed so i'm gonna send out the email for the 50 dollar coupon it's 50 dollars off 100 bucks so I'll send that out and um i don't know i'll be back tomorrow pray for us so in this story she is showing how she has her binders and there's some computers around and she is asking her followers and she starts to cry, asking if they had ever sent her a nice long DM to please write in this question box that she put on the screen so that she could go and find it and print it out. And once again, this is after the discovery deadline and this isn't the first time that she has alluded to something like that. So she is trying to, I think, print out nice things that people have said about her in order to prove her point that no one would be mean to her on the internet because of all of the nice messages that she has, is my interpretation of what she is doing. And then she starts to cry. And then the next part of the story, we find out why she is making all this drama. She has a sale. We've seen this pattern over and over and over again, and I would love to say that this is the last time that she has done that, but that is incorrect. So same pattern, stirs up drama, starts to cry, and then here she comes with, by the way, shot my sale. Also on July the 27th of 2022, the defendant makes a public Facebook post asking, is Shoot Smart the best and closest indoor range around me? It's too hot for Quell Creek. I need to shoot today. Once again, this kind of falls in line with the kind of violent tone her posts and comments have taken as of late. And once again, we can't use this 
nor can we use the other video in the trial because we are now past the discovery deadline. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Then on July the 28th of 2022, the defendant makes a live video. And I'm not going to play any portion of that because it's just a repeat of the same stuff that you have already heard. I think now we're in episode 31. So just... Imagine what you've been hearing in the last 30 episodes, and it probably sounds a lot like that. Same narrative, nothing new. I only bring it up because that video could not be used at trial, was past the discovery deadline, and it is still up right now today on her Instagram. And as of right now, there are 44,600 views on that video. Meta hasn't taken it down, much like Meta hasn't taken down any of the other defamatory posts and videos by the defendant. She named this video, I Figured It Out. And this was something that she would do. She would name her video something clever so that it would sort of motivate people to listen. And it did its job 44,600 times. Then on August the 1st of 2022, the defendant's counsel files a motion for a witness to be able to testify via Zoom. The witness in question is my ex-business partner. She lives in a different state and they are requesting that she be able to testify via Zoom. It says, this case is set for trial on August 22nd, 2022. A witness for the defendants, and then lists her name, is a resident of, and lists the state. Witness has indicated that she is willing to give testimony. However, attendance in person would cause witness to incur significant costs and travel expenses, which cannot otherwise be overcome. And so they are asking for the court's permission to have my ex-business partner testify via Zoom. At this point in time, I did notify my other attorney who represented me in the lawsuit with my ex-business partner and just let him know I had already had contact with him back when the defendant was parading around my ex-business partner's products on her social media and parading her employees around in her home and making live videos. So he knew that there was a legal proceeding in process. And so I alerted him about this. Then on that same day, August the 1st of 2022, Todd calls me, my lead attorney, the father figure to me who I've known since I was 14 years old, who married my husband and I, he asks, can I call you? And so I knew that it was serious. And so he called to tell me that he was not going to be able to represent me at trial because he had another case that was filed one year before mine. And it was going to trial down in Austin, Texas on the same day. He said, we can file a motion for continuance and delay the trial if you want. And I said, no, (laughs) no, no, absolutely not. No, I don't care. (laughs) No, I'm not doing that. And so at that point, 
I did also have Elizabeth who had been with us on this case from pretty much the beginning as well. And she knew this case like the back of her hand. She was a very young attorney and this was her very first ever trial that she would be doing. But we also had H's attorney as he would be there because H is the intervener and he is a seasoned attorney. And so I said, can we just go with Elizabeth and H's attorney? And Todd said, that's up to you. And I said, I'm not delaying it. So if those are my options, then that's what I want to do. Then on August the 4th of 2022, H files what's called a motion for leave to be able to amend her petition one last time. So in this case, the scheduling order stated that all amendments to all of the petitions and pleadings had to be due by May the 23rd. And so her petition was not updated. And essentially, they are asking, can they update it? And they wanted to update it to include what's called actual malice, because in order to recover damages, monetary damages, punitive damages, in this case, they needed to have actual malice listed in the petition. So they were filing a motion saying, hey, can we please amend this petition even though we're past the deadline? Then when H filed the motion for leave to be able to amend her petition to include actual malice, immediately the defendant's attorney filed a motion for continuance. Then on August the 5th of 2022, all parties filed a joint motion to extend the deadline for pretrial documents. So I think they were due maybe on the 5th that day. And so we were asking for it to be delayed until the 11th. Nobody opposed it. And so the judge signed that and said, yes, okay, that's fine. We can extend the deadline for you to submit all of your pretrial documents until August the 11th. Also on that day, Elizabeth emailed me and we were trying to narrow down the posts that we would be taking to trial or focusing on at trial. And she was asking me to review and give my thoughts on 11 posts, only 11 out of hundreds of posts, hundreds of statements. We were now having to try and narrow it down to 10 or 11. And at this point in the podcast, you know what an undertaking that is. And so it's so hard because you're like, but how can we tell the story and paint this picture for the jury with only 11 posts? And so we went through some, obviously the very first post was included, posts where she wrote my first and last name on the screen, posts where she was just referring to me as the old lady stalking sidekick or Lucifer or things like that, because in defamation, it just has to be that a person of ordinary intelligence could understand who you're referring to, even if you don't mention them by name. And so we were going through those posts and trying to narrow it down. And that was, it was so excruciating because there's just so much pressure. Like, well, what if, what if we choose the wrong ones? Or what if we leave this out? Or what if we leave that out? And so that was just something that was kind of going on behind the scenes. And I would also like to point out that zero posts from 2022 were being considered. So the list of the posts that we had kind of started to narrow down only included posts through 2021, which means that in this lawsuit, nothing about the defendant starting to accuse me of being in cahoots with her husband or the defendant accusing her husband of the same things that she had accused me of. None of those were even on the table to present at trial. It was just almost kind of the first year 
of the defamation. Then on August the 9th of 2022, the defendant's attorneys kind of shocked me and filed a motion to withdraw, meaning they wanted to no longer represent the defendant. And in their motion, they say, good cause exists for withdrawal of Movent as counsel because Movent is unable to effectively communicate with defendants in a manner consistent with good attorney-client relations. Movent has reached out to defendants on four occasions since July 20th of 2022, and as of the filing of this motion, defendants have failed to respond. Additionally, defendants have not fulfilled their monetary obligations to the firm under the contract slash retainer agreement signed by the firm and defendant and have failed to demonstrate their ability to do so after multiple requests. And so here her attorney is saying she's not even communicating with us. And he even brings up, we've tried to reach out to her four times since this date, July the 20th of 2022. That is during the week that the discovery was due. And also during the week that the defendant was on a cruise with her friend playing rock, paper, scissors to see what they might do next, either work on the case or do something else. In fact, while on the cruise, the defendant posted a story and said, today is a C day and I have to open my emails. I have been dreading it all week. I don't want to talk about divorce or sad stuff. I don't want to fight about money. I don't want tit for tat, but adulting must be done. Say a quick prayer that it's nothing too horrible today. The attorneys were texting me saying, are you reading the emails? Which means, no, I wasn't. I hate this stuff. Praying it all ends soon and I can be excited or open my inbox again. I absolutely dread it these days. Do you try to avoid bad news and things like that? And so her attorney is clearly frustrated as his client is not communicating with him, despite her being on video showing that she's trying to do all of this work and also has not paid him and has failed to demonstrate that she would be able to pay them going forward. And so likely this motion was filed to get the defendant's attention to say, hey, you need to call us back and you need to pay us because this motion was really never heard or considered or ruled on. So the defendant has posted stories and even on August the 4th, she posted a still shot where it says, I'm exhausted mentally reading these texts I sent being so protective and kind and loving and then terrified and seeing where we are now. It's sickening. I'm so ready for this to end. And she posts this and she's got her computer and all these phones and these binders. And so to her followers, she's working extensively on all of this evidence. Mind you, it's still after the discovery deadline but she's not even returning her attorney's phone calls or emails. So much so that they filed an entire motion to withdraw as counsel. And on August the 6th, she had even posted an Instagram story talking about forensics, which we know from her deposition, she does not have. But once again, to her internet followers, it's a completely different story from reality. Home last night from, from the forensic people. And I just cried and cried and cried. Oh God, it makes me feel like I'm crying now. And I was, like, this, thinking to myself, like, this is the part that, like, nobody sees. That's what I told her last night. Like, this is the part that no one sees, you know? Like, when you're, like, actually, I said that earlier in the day when I was trying to handle the case part stuff. So. And then later that day, she makes a live video. And I'm only going to play a couple of clips from that live video. Oh, my God, I have to tell you something. The other day, I messaged with this influencer. Her name, actually, I'm not going to tell you her name. I thought about it for a second, but no. She, we're messaging back and forth and she's talking about hate blogs and people hate following people. And I, you not, she's like, 
my follow she sends me a screenshot of a message from somebody else and the girl's like my husband is a producer for netflix and he's interested in talking to people about hate following on the internet and that website in particular and i'm like three weeks before i'm going to trial like this is what just happened you gotta be kidding me like did we come this far for god just to be like here you go like we could have taken off a lot of that stuff that happened you know but I was just shocked. And also that just shows you that like everything is in God's timing. So I'm looking at your questions, people that you love. Can we look forward to seeing you on Netflix? I don't know. That's so funny because at the Apple store, they're like, that's the Netflix lady. That's what they always say. They know a lot about what's going on because they have to help me get in on my devices all the time. Not so much anymore, but we've had to restore a bunch of different devices to different backups and like contact Apple and get backups and uh, get proof that certain people were signed into our certain times and uh when's the next time you'll hang with oh i haven't seen her in a long time i should go visit her uh we still talk like we dm each other and stuff but i don't like people are crazy on the internet so i don't even want them knowing like who i talk to and who i don't you know even if it's like friends especially because people are mean to her too for no freaking reason but that's how they found out about me a long time ago from the internet through her like when i very first got involved with her but we both have very thick skin and we're both good people and we know better. So we don't, we don't worry about it. I don't think I ever realized people followed social media like I have since all this stuff happened. Partly because you meet people. Okay, let me tell you. I'll go apply for a job and she walks in and the principal has a koozie on her desk from like 2014. And we're like, oh my God, that's crazy, right? And I know like I meet people everywhere I go and people always say hi and whatever. But I don't think I've ever realized people follow they, like they do till this last two years because people like stop me in bucks and we'd be praying by the fountain drinks like and they're like praying over all these details of my life and i'm like golly that's so crazy but also i remember everything i've ever said to anybody so i'm aware that i talk i guess i just don't aware i wasn't aware that like people actually like pay attention sometimes I don't know. so she starts out this clip and she is saying disturbingly that she has been talking to another influencer who she did not name and one of that influencer's followers sent her a DM and said, hey, my husband is a Netflix producer. And so she is once again telling her followers like she's going to have a Netflix special or something like that. And once again, if that were to ever happen, the defendant cannot go on any sort of platform whatsoever and tell this story because there is a verdict and judgment against her for lying about it. And so any platform that might welcome her to tell this story would open themselves up to legal action. But that doesn't stop her. And so then she talks about how whenever she goes to the Apple store and they call her the Netflix lady. And then she says that she is always at Apple and they're always helping her and proving that people are signed into things. And once again, the discovery deadline has passed at this point. Nothing from Apple was turned over. Nothing. Not a screenshot. Nothing saying, oh, yes, you're iCloud was compromised. Nothing was turned over from Apple whatsoever, but to her followers, it's a different story. Then she also says something interesting. She's someone asks about another influencer and the defendant says, oh yeah, I'm friends with her. I need to go visit her. And then she says that people on the internet are crazy. And she's saying that there are, I guess, internet trolls that talk about that influencer. And then she says, and that's how a lot of people found me was through her. So Recall that the defendant's narrative is that I'm all of the people that have ever posted about her because nobody ever would be mean to her or write horrible things about her. And I would just like to point out that there were already people on GoMe commenting about this influencer that she's talking about. 
And then she starts collaborating and working with that influencer. And she is admitting that she knows that that is how a lot of those people on Gomi found her. And so which is it? Is it me? Because it couldn't be anybody else in your life. Nobody would ever be mean. Or did people locate you through Gomi, through this other influencer, and then start a thread about you? And so I just think that's kind of interesting. Once again, we can't use any of this at trial because the discovery deadline has passed. And finally, the defendant has a friend in this live video. And the friend is telling a story about how one of her friends recently said, hey, I follow your friend. And so they're kind of laughing back and forth saying, oh, yeah, you don't realize how many people are following along. And she talks about that people come up to her in public and they're praying for her by the soda fountains if they see her out. And so I just want to point out once again, this is my community. She is well aware of her reach. She's admitting it again here and that people in public where I live know this and recognize her and know the false and defamatory narrative that she has been spewing. Then on August the 10th, H and I file our joint motion in limine. And what motion in limine is, is a motion filed before trial begins, asking that opposing counsel and their witnesses not mention or elicit responses regarding matters that are inadmissible and prejudicial. So both sides will file motion in limine. H and I's, since we were both sort of plaintiffs, ours was joint, and then the defendant will also file one. And then during the pretrial hearing, the judge will rule over which of the things included in this motion in limine can be talked about at trial and which ones cannot. In mine and H's motion in limine, some of the things included are, because we have filed a no evidence MSJ, also in our motions in limine, we said that regardless of what the ruling was for that no evidence MSJ, that motion and the results of it could not be brought up at trial. One of the other things listed in our motion in limine is social cost of award. Any argument or suggesting that an award of damages will affect insurance premium, the price of any goods or services, or the level of taxation. And so one of the things that you can't use to try to kind of appeal to the jury in your favor is, oh, well, I can't afford this, or this would cause my insurance premiums to go up, or things like that. And so that is something that you also cannot bring up because the jury is not supposed to consider those sorts of things when they are deliberating and ultimately deciding what the verdict and any sort of damages being awarded would be. Then it goes on to say that they cannot bring up anything that suggests that the defendant's statements are true, that are not supported by facts and evidence already in this case. So we've already established that no evidence or facts have actually been turned over to provide any truth whatsoever to the defendant's claim. So the defendant would be unable to say that this is a true statement and things like that. Also, one of the big things that we included in our motion in limine is any prior lawsuits that I had been in. So one of the main focuses for the defendant has been that I sued my former business partner. She likes to say it was my former employer. And so that's one of the things that she has focused on, that I'm a serial extortionist. And that lawsuit has no bearing on this case. And so my attorneys are arguing, hey, this is irrelevant and this should not be brought up at trial. My employment or partnership with my ex-business partner would also not be allowed to be brought up because that is something that the defendant has made very obvious that she is trying to use to show that I've done this before and I'm going to try to do it again. So anything involving that company or my former business partner would not be allowed to be brought up. Also, that the defendant or defendant's attorney may not make any comment or statement the defendants know plaintiffs were the source of comments about the defendant on Gomi or Reddit without presenting evidence that was produced in discovery. So the defendant has made so many claims that I have made all of these posts, but no evidence has been provided 
to support that. And so they're saying you can't get on the stand and say, oh, well, I know that she posted this without the evidence being there. And there is no evidence. Also, that the defendant may not make any comment or statement that plaintiffs have committed a crime against defendant without presenting evidence of criminal conviction. So the defendant has liked to say that I'm a criminal and that I've stalked her when the Bartonville police report clearly states there has been no criminal activity. That doesn't stop her. She says that all the time. So this motion in limine would prevent her from saying that on the stand. Also, defendants or defendant's attorney may not make any comment or statement regarding opinions by a forensic accountant that was not designated in defendant's expert designations. The defendant has claimed that she had a forensic accountant on multiple occasions, then in her deposition said that she never actually hired one, then said that she was going to hire one and then they didn't go forward and then she was going to get another one. But in any case, no forensic accountant or any reports from a forensic accountant have ever been turned over. So they're saying here, you cannot bring up any sort of forensic accounting, anything that has not already been presented and nothing had been presented. Same goes for keylogger reports. That's another thing included here. The defendant also filed the motions in limine, but I'm going to wait to go through hers because they later filed an amended motion in limine and any amendment supersedes the original. Also on that same day, H and I filed our joint exhibit and witness list. This is on August the 10th. I'm not going to read that in its entirety. I just want to point out one thing. We included in our exhibits the Bartonville police report. You have heard the defendant say and reference many times how the police video should be played or if if we could all just watch the police video, it would clear it up. And she's referencing whenever she lied to H, told her that the FBI had confirmed that I had all these profiles on Gomi and lied to H admittedly in the body cam footage from Bartonville PD, lying to H that she had IP addresses linking me. And so then she convinced H to meet her at the police station. She's talking about that video that is included in the Bartonville police report. Why, if that video is so incriminating, would we include it in our exhibit list? But here it is, line number 297, Bartonville PD case file here. So I just wanted to point that out. And then on our witness list was myself. H, the defendant in her personal capacity, and then whoever might be representing the business, the defendant's husband, H's mom, H's best friend, H's therapist, my therapist, one of my friends, my husband, and my physician's assistant were our witnesses. The defendant filed her exhibit and witness list the following day. In her exhibits, only one post, one post from Gomi was included only one. And it says a written Gomi post dated December 27th of 2020 from the account Tits and Teeth. That's it. Everything else is the Bartonville police report, which we also included. And then the sort of paperwork, our responses to the request for production, requests for disclosure, our pleadings, and that sort of a thing. Likely the reason why there was only one post included was either because the defendant failed to produce other posts to her attorney or because she did produce posts and they were just irrelevant. So I've already gone through all of the posts that were given to us in discovery and none of them meant anything. And so it's unclear why this particular post was included, but likely it's the only one that they could try and use in any way, shape or form to support anything that the defendant was saying. I would also like to point out that missing from the defendant's exhibit list is mine and H's deposition. 
We included the defendant's deposition in ours. It's customary to do that. But they noticeably did not include my deposition or H's deposition, which I just find interesting. But also, that makes sense because in mine and H's deposition, under oath, we say none of this is true. We don't have any accounts. We've never posted. And so I just think it's interesting that that was left off. On the witness list, the defendant lists herself. She does not list her husband. She lists H, myself, my ex-business partner, one of the Bartonville police officers, two former employees. She also lists Laura, who you heard from in one of the earlier episodes. She lists one of her friends, the one who made the post on October 30th about the fallen angel and the malignant devil. This person also routinely would get on her videos or posts and say that I was a serial extortionist. And she also lists her attorney friend that she claims that she went to with H to talk to about all of this whenever this started. And then she later claimed that the audio recording from that meeting conveniently had been deleted. Also on this day, and there were a lot of documents filed across August the 10th and 11th because the 11th is our pretrial document deadline. So there are a lot of documents between these two days. And included here is also my proposed jury charge and instructions and also the defendant's proposed jury charge and instructions. What charge of the court means is the charge of the court will include a series of questions that the jury must answer after considering all the evidence admitted during trial. Remember that while the judge determines issues of law, the jury must decide issues of fact and apply those facts to the law. So that's what charge of the court means. My jury charge was not considered because it was 127 pages long. Technically, with a defamation case, whenever you present the jury charge, it is supposed to list out all of the defamatory statements. Well, since there are so many, it caused my jury charge to be 127 pages. And immediately the judge was like, the jury is not going to go through all of that. We're going to have to figure something else out. But both sides submit a proposed jury instructions and a jury charge. And the charge is basically what the jury takes back to the deliberation room. It's a series of pages. They have to answer questions that lead them to, do we award damages for this? And if so, how much? And so whenever it is time to actually finalize the jury charge, both sides go back and forth with the judge and everybody agrees that, yes, this will be the instructions for the jury. And this will be the what's called the charge of the court for the jury to take back. So these were just proposals. Then the defendant also submitted their proposed jury instructions. And theirs was sort of three-part. There were instructions prior to voir dire, which is the jury selection process. And that phrase actually means to speak the truth. And it is the process through which potential jurors are questioned by either the judge or a lawyer to determine their suitability for jury service. Also, the preliminary questioning of witnesses to determine their competence to testify. And so whenever it says the proposed instructions to the jury before Vordar, that's what it's referring to. The purpose of Vordar is to exclude from the jury people who may not be able to decide the case fairly. Members of the panel who know any person involved in the case, who have information about the case, or who may have strong prejudices about the people or issues involved in the case typically will be excused by the judge. So the defendant submitted instructions 
before that process, during that process, after that process, and then ultimately the charge of the court. And once again, these are all just proposed. Also on August the 11th, the defendant filed their response to our no evidence MSJ. So at this point, everything is pretty much due. And so they have now filed their response. And in their response, they say that plaintiff's motion as to the affirmative defense of truth and opinion must also fail in light of the affidavit of defendant, which is attached here to as exhibit A. The affidavit sets forth her contention that she never intentionally posted any statement which she knew was false and that each of the complained posts were not intended to be viewed as fact but merely were her opinions and as such are protected by the Texas Constitution. So they submit this motion and with it is an affidavit from the defendant herself. And the affidavit states in the beginning, which is standard, she lists her name and says that she's competent to make this, says I'm the managing member of her company. And in 2020, I learned that various social media posts were being put up on the internet, which were unfavorable to both myself and my company. Due to the confidential nature of the information being posted, I concluded that only two individuals were possessed with sufficient knowledge of that information. And I posted a series of what I considered to be responsive posts which appear to serve as the basis of the plaintiff's complaint. Note, many of the posts referenced in the plaintiff's third amended petition are unsupported by actual presentation of the alleged posts. So it is impossible for me to verify that all of the posts referenced in said petition are in fact my own. The posts for which I'm responsible represent my own opinions and were never intended to be taken as factual for the purposes of defining who the plaintiff is or has been in the past. In making my posts, I've never published any statement of fact I knew to be wrong or inaccurate. And I do claim as a resident and citizen of the state of Texas, the protections of Article 1, Section B of the Texas Constitution as protecting my right to make such posts. So in her affidavit, she literally said that she just decided that we were the ones posting. She said, due to the confidential nature of the information we posted, I concluded that only two individuals. So she literally says here, I just decided. And then later tries to say that she never intended to provide any facts to who the plaintiff is. Her post had my name in them, first, middle, and last name. So honestly, that's a little bit comical that that would even be in there. And then says she didn't make any statements knowing that they were untrue. Well, that's not how this works. That's called negligence. So if you're making a statement, you need to have proof and evidence at the time you're making that statement. Otherwise, it's defamatory if it's untrue. Also on this day, we get a notification that in addition to the no evidence MSJ that will be heard on August the 18th of 2022, the court is also adding to that hearing the motion for allowing witness to testify via Zoom and the motion to compel. At this time also, there are proposed orders filed for all of the motions. And this is customary. Both sides will file a proposed order where it says that the judge ruled in their favor. This is not actually true until the judge signs one, but it's so that those proposed orders are in the system so that once the judge decides, he can just go in and sign it and then it can be filed. Then we file a response and objection to the defendant's response to the no evidence MSJ and we file some objections to some other things as well. In our response, we say, again, defendant's affirmative defenses of truth and expression of opinion fail because defendants have no evidence of one or more of the following elements on which they have the burden of proof. Number one, truth. The statements made by defendants were either substantially true or literally true. And two, expression of opinion. The statements made by defendants were opinion or an opinion masquerading as 
fact. So the defendant has provided no evidence of those things. According to defendant's response, our motion must fail because it fails to specify the missing element or elements with respect to the 105 different social media posts provided in plaintiff's third amended petition. We allege that defendants have failed to prove that every single statement made in the 105 different social media posts provided were either substantially true or literally true. So substantially true or literally true either means that it's literally all of the facts are true or substantially true means it's mostly true. So the defendant hasn't provided any evidence that would suggest that it's either substantially true or literally true. And recall that in our motion for the no evidence MSJ, we also stated that there wasn't even a scintilla of evidence of those things. Also in this document, we listed our objections to the defendant's affidavit. It says, plaintiff objects to exhibit A, the affidavit of defendant, as self-serving and in reference to a few statements listed below, false. Defendant states in her affidavit that many of the posts referenced in the plaintiff's third amended petition are unsupported by actual presentation of the alleged posts, so it is impossible for me to verify that all of the posts referenced in said petition are in fact my own. See exhibit one. Defendant was presented with request for admission and supplement request for admission in which she admitted to posting 352 of the 399 defamatory statements listed. These 399 statements were taken from the 105 social media posts listed in the plaintiff's third amended petition. Therefore, defendant was able to verify that the posts listed in the plaintiff's third amended petition were hers and the statement contained in her affidavit is false. Defendant then stated the posts for which I am responsible represent my own opinions and were never intended to be taken as factual for the purposes of defining who the plaintiff is or has been in the past. This is a conclusory and self-serving statement as it does not provide the underlying facts to support the conclusion or statement. Defendant provides no facts or evidence to show that these statements were in fact her opinion. Defendant also states in making my posts, I have never published any statement of fact I knew to be wrong or inaccurate, which again is a conclusory and self-serving statement as it does not provide underlying facts to support the conclusion or statement. See Exhibit 1. Therefore, the statements in defendant's affidavit is not competent evidence to oppose a summary judgment. So they're saying here, the defendant is saying that she basically can't verify if the posts listed in my third amended petition were actually hers. And they're saying you, you lied in your affidavit because you have already been presented with 399 requests for admissions and 352 of those you admitted that you made. So either you've seen the posts where you could determine whether or not you made them or you haven't made the post, but the affidavit doesn't line up with prior evidence. Also, H&I filed our joint objections to the defendant's exhibit and witness list. First and foremost, we objected to my prior business partner being a witness. And my attorneys say, plaintiff and intervener object to the designation of this witness because she was not identified in defendant's disclosures as a person with knowledge of relevant facts. Permitting her testimony would operate as an unfair and prejudicial surprise on plaintiff and intervener as they have not had the opportunity to conduct any discovery or investigation as to this witness witness and her designation is merely an attempt at trial by ambush. Accordingly, any testimony from this witness should be excluded from trial under Texas Rules and Civil Procedure 193.6. So essentially, in the beginning, we are asked to list people with relevant knowledge of facts, and my ex-business partner was never listed. And her name did not come up until after the discovery deadline. Therefore, we could not depose her or no deposition that the other side might have taken of hers was never presented to us. So this is just a complete surprise witness. Also, 
she has nothing to do with this. The defendant not only sought her out and tried to drag her into this on social media, but now she is trying to drag my ex-business partner into this lawsuit to be a witness for her. And we also objected to a few others saying that we did not have sufficient contact information for them because part of the process is you have to include the person's address and phone number. And that was not given to us. And the reason is so that we could have conducted any sort of discovery or questioning that we wanted to. And so those objections were also in there. And then we object to some of the defendant's exhibits. And the first two were my responses to the defendant's request for production. And the reasoning is because they are not relevant. And also H's response to request for production as being not relevant. But the main objection is the written GOMI post dated December 27th, 2020 from the account Tits and Teeth. Plaintiff and intervener object to this exhibit because defendants have not produced this document in discovery despite it being responsive to applicable discovery requests and because it is not relevant. Accordingly, this exhibit should be excluded from trial under Texas Rules of Civil Procedure 193.6 with other authorities. So we never got this post. The one post that the defendant's attorneys deemed that might actually be relevant of what she gave them, we were never given it. And so the objection is we've never seen this and it doesn't matter anyway because it proves nothing. Pretend it had some relevant information in it. It's still not proof. It's just hearsay. And so we objected to that. The defendant's attorney have only included one GOMI post. They did submit others into discovery, but the defendant was on a cruise the week of discovery and was admittedly not talking to her attorneys. And I would just like to point out that over and over again in the footage, the defendant has talked about sharing her truth and telling her truth, and she can't wait to get in front of a jury and tell her truth. And so this lack of evidence that they have produced, number one, we know that there's no evidence because none of this was true, but also it really appears, in my opinion, that she thought that that's how this would work, that despite having no evidence, that she could just sit in front of the jury and go over her false and defamatory narrative, and that would be it. And unfortunately, that is not how the world works, and it's definitely not how the legal system works. You have to have facts and evidence, and she had none. So I have been accused of being this tits and teeth person throughout the entirety of this defamation. And apparently, at some point, during this lawsuit, this tits and teeth person made a post on Reddit and said, hey, I'm tits and teeth from GOMI. And so after the trial verdict and judgment, when I made my Reddit account, Crystal underscore Wrighton, I reached out to this person and said, well, hi, I just wanted to meet this infamous tits and teeth person since I have just been accused of being you for this long. And so we had a little bit of back and forth. And throughout the course of that, I asked her and said, there was this mysterious post on GOMI from December 27th that was attempted to be included at trial. And we were never given that post and I've never seen it. Do you have it? And so she sent it to me. She actually said that she had posted twice on December 27th of 2020. 
And so she sent both of them to me. The first post, she's responding to someone else and says, there's not much of a price difference between used and new Chanel bags. I don't know why she wouldn't just get new, but I also don't understand why she has multiple Michelle watches when instead she could have a Rolex or Cartier or all the David Yurman knockoffs when she could have a few good pieces. But then I see her Christmas trees and the piles of cheap gifts and remember it's about quantity, not quality in her world. I mean, that could be her company slogan. So that was one of the posts that Tits and Teeth apparently made on December 27th of 2020. And here's the other one. She claims she's only on Instagram about 25 minutes a day. Does she not know how to tell time? She has lives that go on for hours and all she's doing is her hair and makeup and rambling about random profanity. And was she spending all her time with her dad when she went to California for weeks and had her husband and child fly out to join her while H took care of her father? I feel like there's a reason for this post and it's an attempt to gain sympathy from the bank. They should be asking why her business is tanking before lending her a chunk of money. And if they check her social media presence and frivolous spending, they can easily see why. I doubt the cops and attorney stories are true because she has nothing to stand on trying to blame her former employees for the mess she created. If anything, she hired an attorney to try and help her with the bank and she's trying to gaslight all of them with this post. And anytime she seems nice on the gram, but she always slips up and shows her true colors. Also, she's giving away the store between what she did with an item and the 60% off sale. She's in trouble. Signed, not H or C. At some point during this process, whenever the defamation first started and the defendant was saying that I was all of these people on GOMI, at that time, the GOMI thread was public. A lot of the people that posted on GOMI would say not H or C. And so here she is signing it that she's not H or C. So again, out of those two posts, I don't know which one they were trying to include. It was never given to us. But even if it was one of these, there's nothing there. Everything that is written is speculation based on either public record or what the defendant has said. And apparently, this person was actually commenting about a post that the defendant had made. Also, these posts were from December 27th. This is a month and a half after she started the campaign of lies and false and defamatory narratives. So. If her claim is that she knew that it was me posting about her all of this time, where are the posts from before she started defaming me that would prove that it was me? It's just odd. But again, it's it's been blatantly obvious, in my opinion, that actual facts and evidence never mattered to her, despite what she says to her followers. She just wanted the opportunity to sit in front of the jury and spew her false and defamatory narrative. This person is also commenting about her home loan information, which the defendant has said is inside information, but that's incorrect. That information is available on the county website. On December 15th of 2022, the defendant files their objections to mine and H's exhibit and witness list. And essentially what their objections say is that there are too many files and they are too hard to go through. The actual words say the contents of the folder are a jumbled mess. And so to that, I would say, yeah, there are a lot of files because your client refused to stop defaming me. So 
that was pretty much the entirety of their objections. And then on the 16th, H and I filed our response to the motion to allow the witness to testify via Zoom, which was my former business partner, and essentially saying that that witness was not disclosed to us and that the Texas Rules of Civil Procedure don't have an exception for allowing someone to testify via Zoom because of travel expenses, that the current laws in place at the time had to do with COVID-related travel and things like that. So essentially, the defendant wouldn't be able to use that as reasoning to have her testify via Zoom. And towards the end of our objection to this, it says, if defendants were truly concerned about the witness's testimony, they should have taken her deposition in the state that she lives in as nothing prevented them from doing so. So in this case, if the defendant wanted testimony from my ex-business partner, at any point, they could have gone to where she lives and deposed her and submitted that written testimony under oath as a deposition is you're sworn in. They could have submitted that as evidence. And so this is saying that if they wanted to include her, they could have just deposed her and submitted that as discovery. Nothing was preventing them from doing that. And so basically, your lack of planning is not does not constitute an emergency on my part or however that saying goes. But the harsh reality is for the defendant that the real reason that this witness had no business being in our lawsuit is because it's completely irrelevant. Any testimony that she might provide has nothing to do with any of this. My lawsuit with my prior business partner was over a breach of contract at the end of our partnership. That has nothing to do with the defendant making defamatory accusations against me since November of 2020. Has nothing to do with anything. And then something else happened on August the 16th that it was shocking to me. Apparently, it wasn't shocking to my attorneys. I think they were privy to discussions that I was not. But it did take me by surprise. On August the 16th of 2022, H's attorney filed a Rule 11 agreement. And in the Rule 11 agreement was a settlement agreement. So H settled. And in this Rule 11 agreement, it lines out the details of the settlement in terms of the monetary value. And so it says that the defendant agrees to pay H a sum of 70000 within 60 days of the execution of this Rule 11 agreement. And additionally, it said that both H and the defendants agree to not disparage each other. Disparage means to voluntarily publish to a third person or entity via social media, email, text, or any other writing or orally any negative comment about the other that would impugn, malign the other's reputation, character, or ability, including without limitation, any statement stating, suggesting, or implying that the other has hacked into any email or social media accounts, posted on any social media accounts under a fake identity, committed any crime, committed theft, or engaged in dishonesty. If any party voluntarily violates this agreement not to disparage, it will be liable to the other for liquidated damages in the amount of $10,000 per publication, not as penalty, but an acknowledgement of the fact that damages for breach will be difficult to ascertain. So essentially, this is saying that H will not be going to trial. She has settled for $70,000. And in addition to that, if the defendant goes on to defame her, every single time that happens, the defendant will need to pay H $10,000. And it does go both ways. If H were to disparage the defendant, then H would also have to pay $10,000 per occurrence. So that is lined out in this public Rule 11 agreement. And I had no idea this was coming. In addition, this says that H and the defendant release all claims, causes of action, demands, and rights to recovery against each other, whether asserted in this lawsuit or not. So any claim that the defendant has that H did any of these things is over. 
at this point, and all parties signed it. H signed it, the defendant signed it, and the defendant's husband signed it because as a part owner in the defendant's company, he would have to sign it also. And so at this moment in time, on August the 16th, it is agreed that H will not be in the lawsuit anymore. She will be paid $70,000. And if the defendant disparages her or H disparages the defendant, they each have to pay each other $10,000 per occurrence. And they both have to release all claims, meaning H releases the claims of this lawsuit and the defendant releases any of the false and defamatory claims that she has made about H in the past. I'm going to let you guess whether or not the defendant abided by this long term. At this moment, I wasn't concerned with H not being in the lawsuit because of H not being there and not like supporting my case. My issue here is I didn't have a lead attorney anymore. Todd was not going to be able to argue my case. He had to go to Austin that week, but it was going to be fine because H's attorney, a seasoned attorney would be there as well as Elizabeth. And now at this point in time, I just have Elizabeth. She's never tried a case before. She's in her 20s. She had just graduated from law school not that not that many years ago. And that is concerning. And so my issue here is I was terrified, terrified that I was going to have to file for a continuance. And I did not want to delay this any further. On top of being faced with a potential delay because H had settled, in my life, my actual real life at that point in time, school was about to start the next day. I'm a teacher. And also my son was beginning his senior year. There are all kinds of senior events happening and I'm trying to get ready for meeting 180 students the next day. And so I had all of those real life stressors in addition to this giant lawsuit that was about to occur and not knowing whether or not it was going to be delayed. And if it wasn't delayed, I was going to be taking off right after school started. The week after school starts, I would be out, which is just not ideal whenever you're starting a school year. And on top of that, the second day of school, I needed to attend a hearing for the no evidence MSJ, the motion to compel, and the motion to allow the witness to testify via Zoom. So in addition to all of that, I have to also get someone to cover my classes during that hearing so that I can attend. So all of that was very, very stressful. And so the fear of having to delay this affected me a lot. I was really upset about it. And my trial was in five days, five, five days. This is on August the 17th that I'm talking to my attorney and my trial is on the 22nd of August and included in those five days is a weekend. And so I did talk to Todd on August the 17th and he said, here are your choices. There is another partner at my firm that is willing to take on this case and try your case next week. However, she would be brand new to all of it five days before the trial, but that is an option. The other option is a motion for continuance, which would likely be granted because of all of these things. And I said, I don't want to delay the trial. I don't. And so I said, what is this person's name? And then he gave me her name and I researched her. Her name is Sarah Long and she is amazing. And if I would have thought about it a little longer, I probably would have said, this is insanity. Are you kidding me? You're 
willing to bring on a brand new attorney five days before your trial. And here's the thing. The discovery in this case is so extensive. It is humanly impossible for any person in five days to digest the entirety of this case. But all I could think of was, I do not want it delayed. I do not want it delayed. I was confident that Elizabeth knew the case back to front, but I did need a lead attorney and she was the best option. And I felt confident with her and comfortable with her. And so I told Todd, I'm going with Sarah and Elizabeth. And that was terrifying also. But the alternative was I would have to wait. And I was tired of waiting. Also, I knew that the defendant had no evidence whatsoever. I knew that she was lying. I was very confident in my case and in my own testimony, my own evidence and all of that sort of thing. So while it was very scary and probably insane for me to bring on a brand new attorney five days before my trial, those things made me confident that I would be okay. Then also on that same day, the defendant filed their amended motions in limine. And the reason I bring this up is because the only change in their motion in limine was that in the original motion in limine that they filed, they had included the following statement, any reference to the pleadings and contents thereof, which have been superseded by the filing of any amended pleading, basically saying, we don't want anybody to bring up any prior pleading that has been amended. So if you'll recall, I had my first petition that included the post about the denim jeans that never should have been in there. So we amended that. And throughout the lawsuit process, as the discovery is submitted, you amend your pleadings. My pleading had been amended back in January. So that motion in limine would have prevented the mention or reference to any pleading or anything like that that had had an amendment. And when they submitted this amended motion in limine, they removed that. And I just want to point that out because it will be important later. Again, on August the 17th, the defendant posts a video story of herself at a gun range again. And I'm not going to show that footage. I just want to point it out here that once again, we are nearing the trial. So she has made violent comments. She has posted herself at gun ranges even the night before H's deposition. And now we are almost to the trial and she is once again posting some violent content. And the unfortunate thing is this couldn't be used at trial because the discovery deadline has passed, but it doesn't stop her from what one could argue as witness intimidation. Then on August the 18th, the hearing was held for the no evidence MSJ the motion to compel, and the motion to allow the witness to testify via Zoom, which was my ex-business partner. In that hearing, the judge denied the no evidence MSJ, meaning he was not going to take away the defendant's ability to use the affirmative defense as truth and opinion as defenses in the trial, which we sort of expected that that motion would not go our way. But we filed it to really send a message and almost to sort of force the defendant to try to produce any evidence whatsoever that would support those because there was none. But he ruled against that. He also said that the motion to compel would be irrelevant unless I won the case. And so he was going to reserve judgment on that until after the case. And then if I won and there was a judgment due to me and the defendant still refused to submit adequate insurance information that he would rule on that then. And then finally, on the motion to allow the witness to testify via Zoom, 
he ruled that she could. And so that was kind of a big win day for the defendant going into the trial. So the motion that we filed was denied. The motion to compel was reserved for later and they got their way. And the judge said, yes, the witness can testify via Zoom. Then on August the 19th, Todd calls me again and says, hey, guess what? My case settled so I can be there next week if you want me to. And I said, I love you dearly. I love you so much. You're so important to me and in my life. However, you refer to Snapchat as the chat snap. And by your own admission, your daughters have to order something online for you if you need to order something. You don't know the internet. You don't understand social media. And while you are a highly competent attorney and someone I value and respect, honestly, I think I'm going to stick with Sarah and Elizabeth. And he said, great choice. You're absolutely right. You are in great hands with them and they will be able to better explain and represent you at trial. So I did have the option to have Todd. But at that point, Sarah and Elizabeth that day were at the pretrial hearing while we were talking. And so they were arguing that Sarah had begun endless hours of trying to prep and understand the case. And I just felt like they were the better option. And Todd agreed with me. And so I had no idea if I made the right decision or not, but that is what I felt was the best thing. And so that's what we went with. Once the motion was granted to allow my ex-business partner to testify via Zoom, I did contact my other attorney and let him know that. And the defendant's attorney created a subpoena and sent it to my ex-business partner. However, that subpoena was invalid to compel my ex-business partner to testify. And so there was some correspondence between my other attorney and my ex-business partner's attorney saying, hey, this is not even a valid subpoena. And so if she were to testify, then it would be a violation of the settlement agreement. Then that day, not surprisingly, the defendant files an emergency motion for continuance. And then the defendant's attorney submitted an affidavit with this motion and says, on or around July 19th, I spoke with my ex-business partner's attorney concerning my desire to interview his client who resides where she lives. At that time, the attorney advised me that neither he nor his client could discuss the nature or underlying circumstances involved with a lawsuit between my ex-business partner and me due to terms and conditions contained in a settlement agreement between the two women. He further allowed his client could only safely testify under subpoena and I thereafter obtained his agreement to accept service on behalf of his client once a Texas subpoena had been granted by where my ex-business partner lived. They also attached a portion of my deposition in this motion, basically to say that if we object that this witness shouldn't be allowed to testify, the plaintiff, which is me, said in her deposition that she didn't mind if the defendant's attorney contacted her. And the excerpt says, do you have any problems with me contacting my ex-business partner and talking to her about this case? And I said, 
No. And then defendant's attorney says, okay, you wouldn't consider that a breach of the non-disclosure if I do that. And I said, I don't know. She was represented. So I don't know. You may want to contact her attorney. I'm not an attorney, so I don't know. And then defendant's attorney said, sure, I would do it that way. But I'm just asking you personally, you don't have any objection to her talking to us about that, do you? And I said, no. And so when I was questioned about that, my response was, I mean, you're going to have to talk to her attorney. I, I don't really know. I wasn't granting permission for her to testify in the case, but they included that in the motion. In this motion, the defendant's attorney also included a letter from my other attorney that says, your letter enclosed a subpoena for the testimony of my ex-business partner in a case scheduled for trial next week in Tarrant County, Texas. The subpoena was apparently sent to you in where they live. This Texas subpoena and its delivery to you in this other state is not sufficient to invoke the language compelled by subpoena. And so they include this and say that the testimony of this witness, my ex-business partner, has been the subject of two separate motion practice hearings and her testimony cannot be obtained by other means. Plaintiff could not prevail on the merits of those motions and thus resorted to having her other counsel do what her Texas counsel could not stop my ex-business partner from testifying. So they are kind of accusing me here of interfering with them being able to get this witness to testify. But in reality, and what was not included, was the correspondence between my other attorney and my ex-business partner's attorney, where he states, my ex-business partner has no interest in being dragged into Ms. Wrighton's latest litigation, but she does need to ensure that she complies with a valid subpoena. So in reality, my ex-business partner wanted nothing to do with this. Despite the defendant's efforts and the defendant's attorney's efforts to drag her into this and force her to testify, she did not want any part of this. And that was very clear, but it wasn't clear in the defendant's motion. And likely the reason that my ex-business partner did not want to do any of this is because anything that she had to say was not relevant for the current case. They are completely different. And the defendant was just trying to use her as a weapon in my case. And that just wasn't going to be an option. If she would have testified, it would have violated our settlement agreement. And that's just a matter of law. And I didn't have anything to do with that. That was between the attorneys. My ex-business partner's attorney did send a letter to the defendant's attorney and said, if you can send us a valid subpoena, I'm happy for my client to abide by that. But what you have here is not a valid subpoena and would therefore break the settlement agreement that is in place. Then on Sunday, August the 21st of 2022, one day, before my trial was to begin, one day, I met Sarah, the lead attorney that would be taking my case. I had never met her before. I had never heard from her before other than doing some research on her whenever Todd gave me her name. And so the lead attorney on my case and I had never met until less than 24 hours before my trial began. We met on a Sunday. We met at my attorney's Dallas offices. My husband and I went and we were there maybe an hour, an hour and a half, just meeting her, talking to her, trying to give her a brief rundown of everything. She had been there researching the case. But one day, not even a full day, because it was the afternoon when we met and the trial started the following morning, less than 24 hours, that's when I met my lead attorney for the trial. So at this point, there have now been four separate continuance issues. The first continuance was mutually agreed upon because the defendant had fired her attorney in November and the trial was set for January and it wasn't reasonable to expect new counsel to be able to 
get on board with the case and represent her effectively that January. So we agreed to that one. Then the defendant's third and current attorney filed a motion for continuance on May the 24th of 2022, and that was denied on June the 22nd of 2022. That day, the judge said, I'm not going to continue it, but I will extend the discovery deadline and I'm going to make you schedule these depositions for the plaintiff and intervener right now so that there cannot be any further delays. Then when H filed for a motion for leave to amend her petition to include actual malice, the defendant's attorney immediately filed a motion for continuance saying, okay, well, if you're going to amend that and extend that deadline, then we need to continue it. Because H then later settled, that continuance was never ruled on. And so now for the fourth time, there is a continuance on the table. The defendant files an emergency motion for continuance on the 19th because my ex-business partner's attorney said, hey, you don't have a valid subpoena. She's not going to testify. And so now they are asking for even more time so that they can try and drag her into this. The emergency motion for continuance would not be heard until right before the trial. So after meeting with Sarah that Sunday, less than 24 hours before the trial was supposed to happen, my family and I were so exhausted from this entire process, from all of the defamation, from all of the legal delays. But once again, we had to go to sleep that night having no idea what was going to happen the next day. Were we going to have the trial? Were we not going to have the trial? Was it going to be delayed? How long was it going to be delayed? And so on top of having to endure this constant public ongoing defamation since November of 2020, now right at the finish line, we had the possibility of the goalpost being moved once again. And so we walked into that courtroom, August the 22nd of 2022, not having any idea whether we would have a trial on that day. Next time on False and Defamatory. So this is something that we had been waiting for forever, forever. All right, the court calls cause number 96-321-678-20, Wrighton versus defendants. For the first time since this process started, I was worried that I was going to lose because of the responses of these prospective jurors to those questions. We have narrowed this down to about one hour of video. We are in episode 32 of this podcast. We have sat through, I don't even know how many hours of the defamatory statements, and it wasn't even all of them. I narrowed it down even further. But I just want you to understand that the jury only had access to up to one hour of video in a handful of written posts. There's some people here who will have the evidence to back it up and there's some that won't. And that's what we're asking you to decide today. And just to clarify for the members of the jury, have you ever had a profile on GOMI? And I said, absolutely not. Never, not ever. I want to be abundantly clear. I have never had a profile on GOMI ever. You cannot post without a profile on GOMI. So not only do I have zero profiles, nor have I ever in my life had any profiles, nor do I know anyone that has a profile that I'm aware of. I have never had a profile. I have never posted on GOMI. 
has the defendant stopped posting about these claims that she's making about you? And I said, no. As we're going through this post, at this point, have any of these statements in this post been true to your knowledge? And I said, no. And in the post that the defendant had made, both of the ones that we're talking about here today and the ones that we have not shown, was it typical of the defendant to put sales or to put the subscription box in these posts? And I said, yes. Really, I mean, ultimately, it's gonna go nowhere. There ain't nothing to get. Definitely ain't millions and nothing from from anywhere else to get. You sue me for a million and I have it, you're just not gonna get it, sister. That's why you ain't got it yet. And I would love for you to play this video in court. I don't know, it won't get that far, unfortunately, for me, because I would love to sit in front of 12 logical people. Even if you're not logical, just give me 12 breathing humans. You don't even have to love Jesus. I, I just wanna talk to you. And let me just tell you what happened. I'll do it with my eyes closed, no paper, no nothing, no spiral. I don't need no notes. You ain't gotta give me a pen. Just tell me where you want me to start. At any point, had you contacted the defendant to tell her to stop besides the retraction letters that we had sent? And I said, no, no. Elizabeth says, and why is that? And I said, I felt like I would just be attacked further and that if sending someone or filing a lawsuit against someone to tell them to stop doing this, sending multiple retraction letters to tell them, please stop doing this, retract these statements, they are false, is not going to get her to stop. Me contacting her, in my opinion, is also not going to get her to stop. And why did you believe that the defendant's followers could attack you in public or online? And I said, because as evidenced in these live videos that we've just seen, you can see their comments in support of her. And the other ones, there's a lot of people that follow the defendant and comment in support of her and have threatened me physically, threatened my family, threatened my home. This is my real life. It affects every part of me. Noticeably, the defendant would not meet with her attorneys, which I did think was odd. In the middle of a trial, one would think that you would want to meet with them, particularly because I was being questioned. So if she had any comments about that, that would have been her opportunity to talk to her attorneys about what I had said. The False and Defamatory podcast is hosted, edited, and produced by me, Crystal Wrighton, with music by Harry B. Ragsdale, who also serves as my audio engineer. First and foremost, I would like to thank my guests who generously shared their time and insight with us. I would also like to thank my husband, my mom, my children, my therapist, my attorneys, and trusted friends who walked with me through this process and made this podcast possible. Being able to finally speak the truth is incredibly healing, and I appreciate you listening more than I could ask accurately express. If you would like to continue receiving my latest episodes and stay up to date with my content, please subscribe to the False and Defamatory podcast on your preferred podcast platform and follow False and Defamatory on social media with the handle at False and Defamatory. Links to False and Defamatory social media as well as my blog can be found in the episode notes and on falseanddefamatory.com. Listening to the False and Defamatory podcast is free on most platforms. However, if you prefer a video podcast or would like to see the documents discussed in the podcast shown on screen, you can subscribe to my Patreon, where you will enjoy these benefits as well as early access, bonus content, and ad-free listening. The defendant spread her false and defamatory claims to hundreds of thousands of followers for more than two years. My goal is to share the truth so it can reach each person who heard her lies. By sharing this podcast, you can help me achieve that goal. Your support means everything to me and helps me reach a wider audience. So please, hit that subscribe button and share this podcast podcast with those you think would benefit from it. Thank you again for sharing and for listening.
All social media posts referenced in this podcast were included in the evidence in case number 096-321-67820 in the 96th District Court of Tarrant County, Texas, where the jury unanimously ruled in my favor on August 24, 2022. The views expressed by guests are their own, and their appearance on the False and Defamatory podcast does not imply an endorsement of them or any entity they represent. Views and opinions expressed by the guests are those of the guests and do not necessarily reflect the view of the False and Defamatory podcast or Crystal Wrighton. Please do not make any attempts to reach out to the defendant or her followers. Names have been redacted to protect the privacy of the defendant and her army of followers who commented on her public posts. The unanimous jury verdict has not only provided me with justice, but also allows me to share my story. The purpose of this podcast is to share the truth and to provide educational content regarding defamation and social media. If you have any questions about this or to view the documents discussed in this episode, please visit falseanddefamatory.com.